rest of you turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to talk about getting things right this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. In fact, it's the same translation I preach of. New American Standard, getting things right, Psalm chapter 1. When you find that, stand with me. Have you ever heard this phrase, they lived happily ever after? Right? Usually associated with every fairy tale that we ever read as a young child because we know better than that. We don't always live happily ever after. And so today I want to talk to you about how we can accomplish that and the Bible is the best source of information that we have. As we stand reading God's Word, verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Psalms says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Verse 4, but the wicked are not so. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today for us. And help us to see how we can be blessed how we can be happy, Father. I pray you accomplish this today in this room with these hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It's no coincidence that God put uh, this book of Psalm in the middle of the Bible. If you were counting the verses, you would find the middle verse in the book of Psalm. You would find the shortest verse in, or so, shortest chapter in the book of Psalms. You would find the longest chapter in the book of Psalms. You would find the middle chapter in the book of Psalms. It's no coincidence that God lined it up like this. He begins this uh, book with a doorkeeper, so to speak, talking about men. And we have two choices, men. The book of Psalm, chapter 1, gives us two destinations, two ways, and that's it. There's not three. There's not more. There's two. And we read them. The blessed man and the wicked man. That's all there is. There's no in-between. People say we walk on the fence of Christianity. There's no fence in Christianity. You don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You are either or. There is no in-between. The Bible makes that very clear. Here today we'll see uh, the evidence of that. There is no in-between. You are either a blessed man or you are a wicked man. Now the word wicked there is... Uh, kind of deceiving for us in our society today because we think of wicked people as murderers and child molesters and, and things of that nature. But in biblical definition, the word wicked does not mean that. The word wicked means out of joint. The word wicked means loose. So when we see a blessed man and we see a wicked man, we see that there is a man who is out of joint with God. He might believe in God. He might acknowledge that God exists, but he's not walking with God. He's not in association with God. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He doesn't care about the things of God. We know people like that, don't we? I've got them in my own family. Amen? I know you do as well. People that really don't care about the things of God. That is the biblical definition of a wicked man. 
He's not a murderer. He's not a child molester, an axe killer. He's just somebody who's out of joint, apart from God. The word blessed there is really the word happy. When you take that word blessed and you look at it, the definition in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it means happy. Happy is the man who does not do this and who does not do that and who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. And so let's talk about this happy man as opposed to the opposite man. We've got two destinations, two men, two ways, and we can see that you and I would rather be in the first, the blessed man. Only God can bless that man. Only God can take care of that man. Relationships will not give us happiness. Fulfillment will not give us happiness. Goals that we set will not give us happiness. Only God and the observance of His Word will give us happiness. We look for happiness in jobs, recreation, even in our past. If we can live in the past, we feel like we can be happy. Some of you got married because you thought it would make you happy. No reaction from that, okay? (laughs) Hey, it did, amen. We do get married because it makes us happy. Some of you had children because you thought that would make you happy. Some of you have a certain particular job because you feel like that will make you happy. But if you were honest, not by show of hands, but honest with yourself, you would find that there's really nothing in this world that you have discovered that gives you real True happiness. We're always looking, aren't we? We're always searching. We're always wanting more happiness in our life. And the reason for that is because we look in places that happiness does not exist. Happiness is not, biblical happiness is not found in marriage. Okay? Biblical happiness is not found in the family. Biblical happiness is not found in the job or recreation, or your past, or your goals. Biblical happiness is found in a relationship and obedience to God. Isn't that the definition of man? That we are to love God and enjoy Him forever. You can't do that apart from Him and apart from His Word. And so today we'll find and we'll see what this real happiness is all about. Getting things right with God will bring us true happiness. The first point I want to make is this. True happiness is not found, not found in a life that leaves God out. True happiness cannot be found in someone who leaves God out of their life. Our text today gives us three ways that we leave God out. The first way is this, that we stand, or I'm sorry, that we walk in the counsel of the wicked. Look at that with me again in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? This counsel, this wicked person who's out of joint giving us information, this wicked society, this wicked way of living... Remember, it's not horrific wickedness. It is simply out of joint with God counsel. You can read books all across this land that tell you how to live a better life. 
to tell you how to feel happy. You can even find that with a Christian pastor plastered on the front and his name and endorsements inside the cover telling you that the society and the world has a way to make you happy. That does not mean it is true. Right? God's word and God's obedience to God's word is how we find happiness. Not in a book written by a man. This book was written by God. This book was given to us by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God being the creator, we being the creation, God is the only one who can show us how to be truly happy inside. And he gives us that today. How do I find that? By not walking in the counsel of the ungodly or the counsel of the wicked. It's not a denial that God exists. The devil's smarter than that. He knows if he tried to get you to uh, rule out the existence of God that you would fight that because you don't believe that. You believe God exists. So it's not in the denial of God, but it's simply in the not trusting God and His Word is the counsel of the wicked. What, what else is the counsel of the wicked? They do this. They want to exalt man and they want to suppress the cross. They want to exalt the goodness of man and suppress God. You don't really have to go to the cross in order to go to heaven. Did you know Christianity is the only religion that says that? You have to go to Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven. Jesus made a bold statement. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. That's a bold, brash statement to be made to the world of men. And guess what? The world of men don't accept it. Very few accept that, and they're called Christians. We know that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice. That's the only way we can get there. That's the only way we can have our sin forgiven. But the world has come up with multiple religions to tell you there are other ways to get to heaven. The world suppresses the cross and Jesus Christ and exalts man and tells you that you're good inside. The Bible says there's none of us good. The only good that any of us ever have in us is Jesus Christ alone. Amen? So we understand that. We won't walk in the counsel of the wicked. This counsel of the wicked denies absolute truth. It says that there are many truths to each situation. But you and I know better than that. Right? We should know better than that. We may not live like we know better than that. Our statistics show that the church is equal with the world in many categories. It's almost like the church doesn't recognize absolute truth. That there is something that is real and solid and permanent and eternal. God said, the flower fades and the grass withers, but my word will endure forever. This is absolute truth. It doesn't change. I don't have to worry when I get up in the morning and begin my prayer life, begin my prayer day with God, what side of the bed he got up on. Is he going to be receptive today or is he going to be angry today or is he going to be abusive today or is he going to give me the cold shoulder today? I don't have to worry like that. Any morning that I get up, in fact, it's the other way around, God worries about how I got out of bed, right? 
I know how he is. The Bible says he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can go to him at any time and know that I will be received as his son. You can go to him any time and be received as his son or his daughter. The Bible or the world tells us that's not so. The world tells us differently. It suppresses absolute truth. So the Bible or, or the world tells us, this counsel of the wicked tells us that we need to please ourselves rather than to please God. Now sure, the world can give you temporary satisfaction. The world can give you temporary happiness. Amen. The world can give you things deceptively, but they are not eternal and they will not last. Only God can give us the things that we really want. The counsel of the wicked, walking in it, right? Walking towards it, walking with it, walking in it, all summed up in that phrase, the wicked, the counsel of the wicked. The second way that we leave God out of our life is by standing in the path of sinners. Now here's how this works, this uh, progression of sin. First, we're walking along as a happy Christian and we're living life like we're supposed to, going to church, reading our Bibles, in relationship with God, enjoying Him, loving Him, and we're walking along and then somebody starts talking to us from outside of the world and we, start, we get off God's path for a second and we start walking with this person as they're telling us, giving us this counsel. Now, He's not a godly man. He is an out-of-joint man. He's a wicked man, but I, blend, I listen to Him. And then we come to the place where he wants me to stop. And so I stop and I stand and I look at what he is presenting me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of the sinner. Amen. He's walking, you're walking, you begin to listen, and soon you stop and you look. Man, you're in trouble right there, brother. You're standing in the path of a sinner. Now this word sinner, what does that mean? We all know what the word sinner means. Somebody who's disobedient to God in his commands. And now this sinner, this path of the sinner wants you to join him. He wants you to become a part of his sin and you listen and you look. If walking is moving and standing is looking, now I begin to look at what is being presented to me by the ungodly counsel. And I need to be aware of that. We can't help listening to the counsel of the wicked because it surrounds us. When you go to your workplace, are they all Christian? When you go to school, are they all Christian? Of course not. God called us to be light in the dark. So he puts us in places at work and job and recreation where we can shine the light in the dark place. But if we start listening to the darkness... While we're there, and then we start standing and looking at what they are presenting us, we're in trouble. We cannot help but listen, but we don't have to stop and stand and look. Amen? Here's what the Bible says, and Paul said about it. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen? If you run with the wicked and hang out with the godless, you're going to be drawn away. Do you hear me? If you run with the wicked, not the murderers, but those out of joint with God, you run with them and you hang out with the godless people, 
you're going to be drawn away from the kingdom. You're going to be drawn back into darkness. You're going to be doing what you... And you say, oh, I don't think so, Brother Clay. What does it say at the beginning of that verse? Do not be deceived. You don't think it'll happen to you? Do not be deceived. You think you can stand up and be strong? Do not be deceived. Bad company will corrupt you. Amen? So there's a break that has to happen in our life as a Christian. We have to disconnect from certain people and certain places and certain things in our life. It's just, it's just the way it is. You know, when I got saved, Gail and I got saved, uh, we, we were both working in the bar, and her mom and dad ran the bar, and we worked there. And so when we became Christians, we, that was all that we knew, and we felt like that's where we needed to stay. And we went back there. We drank Coke. We played pool. We shot darts for about a week. And then we heard language, and we saw relationships of men and women that we knew were wrong, married men with married women, and we knew that was wrong. But we'd seen that our entire life. But now, all of a sudden, it stuck out to us. What was going on? The Holy Spirit was in us. He was convicting us. And He was telling us, this is not where you need to be right now. Amen. You know, the people accused Jesus of being friends of sinners. Well, guess what? A brand new Christian couple, a month old in Christianity, is not Jesus. We were not strong like Jesus. We were not capable like Jesus. Today, Gail and I could go into that bar and we could witness. And we would not be tempted. We could do it. Why? Because we've got 30 years of walking with Jesus under our belt. And we know the outcome of the bar. And we know the outcome of walking with Christ. When you get saved and you become a Christian and you begin to look back into that sin, you are at your weakest moment. My friend, you've got to disconnect. You've got to go away. You've got to become strong in Christ. And you don't do that by hanging out with the wicked and going with the ungodly. You get yourself in a church. You find a church that feeds you. You find a church that you're comfortable at. You find a church that God directs you to go to. And then you fill up. And you get encouraged and you get lifted up and you supply your spirit. And then one day Christ will say, now let's get back into the world. And I want you to be a witness for me. That's how that works, okay? Don't listen to the ungodly because when you do, the wicked, when you do, you're going to stand still and you're going to look at what they're presenting. The happy man doesn't do that. The third thing in the way that we leave God out of our life is by sitting in the seat of the scornful. Let me get that. There it is on the screen. Now what happens there? These people have, many of them have come from Christian background perhaps. Maybe they come out of the church and they listened to the ungodly counsel and they stopped and they looked at the sin that was presented to them and then they sat in it. Amen? They just took a seat. What does that mean to walk, stand, and sit? It means that sitting, now you have acknowledged this is where you need to be. This is what you're going to do. And now you are in big trouble. Amen? You are trapped again in that sin. And you are associated with it. And now you are 
focusing on it, and now you are a part of that community. But it goes on to say, sit in the seat of a scoffer. What is a scoffer? It is somebody who mocks, okay? It is somebody who used to walk with Christ, perhaps, but now they are mocking him. Now they have rejected him, and now they are mocking the very thing that they say they used to love. Man, I know people just like that right here in our community. I've seen their face sit in this pew time after time. I've seen them cry tears of repentance. I've even baptized them in this baptistry. But now where are they? They're sitting in the seat of the scoffer, and they are mocking the very one that they gave their heart to months or years ago. Don't be that man. It does not make you happy. Blessed, happy is the man who does not do these things. And you say, well, Brother Clay, I am here because I do not do these things. Amen to that. So what do I need to say to you this morning? Number one, beware. Here's a mocker's creed in Romans chapter 1. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is a scoffer. That is a mocker. That is somebody who knows better, but they mock God and they continue to turn away from God. So what can I do to prevent myself from that happening? Don't walk, don't stand, and don't sit. Amen. Keep moving with God's counsel in your ear. we got two lessons here. What can I learn from that? Guard my mind. That's where the devil starts, right? The devil starts in our mind by wicked counsel. He begins to put thoughts in our mind. He begins to tell us things. He starts right there. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong behavior, which leads to the rejection of God. Guard your mind. I'm not telling you to be an unthinker. All right? Don't, don't stop thinking. Don't let your mind be empty. But you need to be focused and be a critic of everything that comes your way. The Bible says in Corinthians that we take every thought captive to Christ. Everything that comes in my mind, if I'm not sure about it, what do I do? I grab a hold of it and I take it to the throne. And I say, Jesus, deal with this for me. What is this? What do I need to do with this? I promise you he will give you the answer. He will tell you if it is good or bad. He will tell you if it's wicked or holy. Clean or unclean, he will do that. We take every thought captive to Christ. That's what we do. That's what we should do. Don't be an unthinker. Be a deep thinker and take those thoughts to Christ if you do not know what to do with them. The second thing you need to do is to guard your friendships. Amen? Guard your friendships. Those that you choose must be committed to Christ himself. If Gail and I would have stayed in that bar and tried to go to church, we would have been drawn away from God. We would have been drawn away from the church. It doesn't work the other way around, my friend. You can say it does, but it will not. 
Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If we would have stayed in that church, I never would have become a pastor. I never would have stayed in the church. I would have fallen back into that world. But you know what? Christ saved us. And he awakened our spirit to reality of God. And he taught us the truth. And man, why would a human being ever want to go back to death when they've walked in life? Amen? Even briefly. Think about that. God desires that for you. Guard your mind and guard your friendships. Here's a quote I found. Uh, not, well, here's a quote from the Bible I found. It says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And we always want to tie that into the marriage ceremony somehow. We want to bring that together that believers and unbelievers shouldn't get married. Listen, that verse goes way beyond marriage. It goes into all relationships. It goes into friendships. You can have acquaintances as unbelievers, but that's where they need to stay until you begin to witness to them. Don't be drawn in by them. They are out of joint, and they will draw you away from God. Be strong. Be courageous. God is with you. Choose your friends wisely. Here's the quote I found from Howard Hendricks. Many of you have heard his name. It says, the two factors which will most influence where you will be 10 years from now are the books you read and the friends you make. Look at that, young people. The things that most influence our life are the books we read and the friends we make. You know, there's 66 books right here that you can read over and over again. Amen. You don't need the world's books. You need God's book, and he will give that to you. Guard your mind. Guard your friendships. Now, that's part of the whole equation of being happy. It's kind of a negative part. We can be happy by not doing things, right? We can be happy but by not walking, by not standing, and by not sitting with the wicked, the sinner, and the ungodly. But that's not all the equation because I don't find that happiness. Isn't that a great picture? Little boy sitting on the bench. <clears throat> Man, he looks happy as he could be. Happier than any of us in this room. <laughs> True happiness is found in a life that is built upon God in his word. Amen. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. But his delight, who? This man we're talking about, these two men, the wicked man or the blessed man, the blessed man does not walk, stand or sit, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Getting things right requires that you and I do the positive. We all agree that we don't want to do the negative of not walking, but now we need to do the positive. We need to have delight in the God's Word, and we need to follow it and obey it. How many of you could really say that you delight in the Word of God? Amen. What does that word delight mean here in the Scripture? 
It's used two other times in the Old Testament. And guess what it's referring to? It's referring to a man delighting in a woman. Genesis and Esther. Those two books and here in Psalms. A man delighting in a woman. Now I get the idea of what it means to delight in God's Word. And I fall way short of that. You know, a, a man who delights in a woman, in his girlfriend or his bride, you know what he does? He rearranges his schedule so that he can spend time with her. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. All of you men know it. We all have gone through it. We dropped the world to spend time with our girl, Amen. our wife, our spouse, our friend. We do that. We rearrange our schedule. We make time to be with Him. Do you delight in God's Word like that? Now, many of you will tell me, yes, Brother Clay, I, I read the Bible. I, I read it every single day. Let me ask you this then. Delighting in it is just not reading it. Because many of us have a plan to read the Bible, say, in a year. And we come to our little brochure and we look up what are we going to read on October the 24th of 2021. And we read that section of the Bible and then we put a check by it. I checked that off. Many of us live by this phrase. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. Right? But when you read that Bible, do you commune? With the Holy Spirit? Do you commune with the Creator God who sits on His throne? Or are you just reading that to check it off? You see, there's a difference in delighting in God's Word. David understood that. Many of you understand that. Some of you need to understand that. It's not just reading it, but it's coming into contact with the author. It's having that relationship deepened by reading the Bible. It's my prayer that when we go through the book of Psalm, that we're just not going through it to check it off, but that it changes us as we go through it. When you read the Bible, it's for your betterment. It's for your good. Are you learning from it? Are you growing from it? Or are you just reading it to say that you read it? There's a big difference in that. And I pray that you are reading it to grow closer to God. Amen. Has your Bible reading become dutiful instead of delightful? There's a huge difference there, isn't it? It's my duty to read the Scripture. Or is it my delight to read the Scripture? The more dutiful it becomes, the harder it is to read it. Make it your delight, my friend. The way to happiness is to delight in reading God's Word. We have a, a responsibility to do that. Not just the negative of not doing things, but the positive of the relationship in delighting in God's Word, meditating on it day and night. That doesn't mean you have to have earbuds with the Bible 
broadcasting through them 24 hours a day. That's not what it means to meditate on it day and night. What it means is you read a psalm or you read a proverb and then throughout the day you think on that. And guess what? The Holy Spirit brings moments and instances and and scenarios into your life that apply to that proverb or apply to that psalm or that text in the gospel, or that Old Testament, Leviticus, right? The Holy Spirit can do that, and He will do that. And you meditate on it, and you think about it. The other day, Leland and I were talking. I said, how did you rest? The conversation of sleep came up somehow, and Leland said, I didn't rest well. He said, I wrestled all night, and every time I woke up, I was talking to God. I said, praise the Lord, brother. That's way better than waking up and worrying about problems or worrying about people or worrying about issues. You wake up talking to God. Can't get any better than that. Some of you are ashamed because you start your prayer time when you lay your head on the pillow and you fall asleep while you're praying to Jesus. And you think, man, I'm worthless. I can't even stay awake to pray to Jesus. What better place to fall asleep on the lap of Jesus you see it's not a shame to fall asleep while you're praying to him that's blessedness fall asleep on his lap and when you wake up you'll find yourself there and you can continue your prayer man that is where we need to be with God when we read his word we need to be in that kind of relationship where we commune with him that's our responsibility now there is a result to that responsibility and we are happy because of this result look in verse 3 and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers a tree all of us have seen the beautiful trees in our area giant oaks elms cottonwoods been there for years pecan trees And we think about how long they've lived and how strong they are and how they endure. And that's what God is describing here to you. He's describing a a human being who has been planted by him, who has been nourished by him with water. What does water represent in the Bible? The Word of God. Being cleansed by the Word of God. Being washed with water by the Word of God. We get cleansed by that. This tree represents that. This tree represents being fed by God. It is strong. It is beautiful. It is producing. It is prosperous. It is able to endure drought and storm. It says in our text that in whatever he does, he prospers. You know, we think, man, I'm going to make the cash. Because whatever I do, God's going to ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And I want you to know something. I I hate to burst your bubble today. It's not ka-ching, all right? It's whatever he does, his soul prospers. Okay? Whatever he does, his soul grows. His soul prospers. His soul is filled. That's what God is talking about. Not financial prospering. Not financial gain, but whatever he does, he prospers. 
in his life with God, in his walk with God. This is what he's referring to here. How do I know that? Jesus told a story about a man. And at the end of it, well, let's just read it for ourselves. Luke chapter 12. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. You see that? That's where you and I need to be. This planting of us by the stream and this feeding us and this growing us until we come prosperous in our life and we become rich to God, not rich to ourselves. Amen? We become fruitful in a cold, hard world. What does this man look like? He looks like love. You've all seen him. You've all seen her walking around. When times are tough and ways are hard, she loves. That's this blessed woman, this blessed man. In a cold, hard world where there is full of discouragement, what does this person look like? He's a person of joy. He's got a smile on his face. The world may be caving in around him, but he is happy inside because he's obedient to God's word. In a world that is short-tempered, what does this man look like? He's full of patience and perseverance. In a world where the marriage vows are broken, what does this man look like? He is a faithful man to his wife. In a world where the divorce rate is as high in the church as it is in society, what does this woman look like? She is faithful to her spouse. That is the happy man. That is the blessed man. Verse 4 says, but it's not so with the wicked. This man's delight is in the law of the Lord, but it's not so with the wicked. This man meditates on God's word day and night, but it's not so with the wicked. This man is like a tree firmly planted, but it's not so with the wicked. This man yields his fruit in its season, but it's not so with the wicked. This man's leaf never withers, but it's not so with the wicked. In whatever this man does, he prospers, but it's not so with the wicked. Remember, the wicked are not horrific human beings. They are people out of joint with God. I challenge you today. It goes on to say, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They are like chaff and the wind drives them away. This wicked, this sinner, this Scoffer, he has no roots in him. He is weightless, he is useless. And the wind of God's judgment will blow him away. But it's not so with the blessed man. It's not so with the happy man. I want you to know this morning, you are not an accident. You were created by the Almighty God. And it is your responsibility to love God and enjoy Him forever. How will you do that? By getting things right. And how do you do that? By not walking, standing, or sitting, but rather by obeying God's Word. Today you can do that. 
You can make that commitment right here in this place. You can say, I've been listening. You can say, I've been standing and looking. Or you can say, I've been sitting in it. Remember the boy, the prodigal son, feeding the pigs? The Bible says when he came to his senses. Is that you? This morning, are you coming to your senses about who God is and the reality of God and what he wants from you and what he desires to give to you? A free gift of eternal life. The opportunity is before you right now. You have a decision to make. Remember I said at the beginning, there's only two men, two ways, and two destinations. The blessed life and the wicked life. You've got a choice to make. Which one are you this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. David's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. I pray that you allow God's Holy Spirit to move in your heart right now. And let Him teach you and lead you to Jesus. Father, I pray in this place, I ask you to remove everything that is not from you right now. Cast it aside. Drive it out. Lord, and let your Holy Spirit be in charge of every heart. Lord, pull at that heart, at the strings of that heart. Tug at it. Father, let them release their hands from the pew. Let them move forward to receive you as Lord and Master of, your, of their life. I pray, Father, that you allow us to see your grace in this room today. I pray, Father, that lives are changed. I pray, Lord, that you are glorified in this place. You've given us an opportunity today. Let every man step through that door and assume the responsibility of his word and obedience to it. And I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.